before I even woke up, I got a text message. You better get in here. All the supervisors are gone because Deputy X got ambushed and is pinned down outside a house at a neighboring station. Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. The podcast that makes your law enforcement dreams happen. Welcome to the Go Law Enforcement Podcast, brought to you by GoLawEnforcement.com. If you're looking for a job in law enforcement, Go Law Enforcement has the largest listing of law enforcement job openings. I'm your host, Joe Lebowski. On this episode, I talk with Garrett Tesla, a sergeant with the Sheriff's Department in Southern California and host of the popular police podcast, The Squad Room. Garrett talks about how to prepare physically and mentally for a career in law enforcement. Welcome, Garrett. Joe, thanks for having me on. It's an honor to be here. So can we kind of get started with what was your path getting into law enforcement? Oh, boy. My path was uh, circuitous and complicated, to put it mildly. But so law enforcement to me was a second career. Um, I never thought I wanted to be a cop uh, growing up. I'm not one of those guys that knew what he wanted to do in, uh, um, in a sense of law enforcement anyway in high school or college. I was committed to being in the music industry. And from an early age, age of about 14, 15, I knew I wanted to work in music. I wanted to be that guy who went out and discovered the next big thing and wanted to make uh, all the big hits, right? And um, I come from a family of musicians, so that's not that surprising. But I didn't want to be the mus- musician himself because that guy actually had to practice and uh, study technique and, and go go to rehearsal and I didn't want to be that guy. I wanted to be the guy that made a lot of money off <laughs> someone else. So uh, I started interning at record labels uh, through high school and college and ended up working uh, my dream jobs in the music industry for the first part of my 20s into my late 20s. And that brought me from uh, my home in Colorado to New York City and then eventually to Los Angeles. But by then I was starting to feel like I wasn't um, – uh, I wasn't contributing anything to my fellow citizens, my society. 9-11 had just happened, and that had a huge impact on me. And after 9-11, some of the little voices in the back of my head that said that you're you know, telling me things like you're wasting your time, what's the point of this, what's the purpose of your job, are you doing anything to further, further better your fellow humans and yourself, frankly, that voice got really loud after 9-11. And so I started pursuing the idea of being a reserve. And I and I and I chose that because you know after 9/11 and watching how to, 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 you know the fire had a huge firefighters had a huge part in 9/11, but I was drawn to the law enforcement side of it. And I really still don't understand exactly why, but I think it related to just being in Los Angeles. And I lived in West Hollywood, which is right on the border of Los Angeles City and the unincorporated area where Los Angeles sheriffs and Los Angeles Police Department they share a border. So I would see both agencies rolling code. Um, you know, code three lights and sirens past my office, past my apartment, past the clubs that I would hang out with, hang out at. And, you know, it'd be uh, late night and I'd be leaving a club after seeing some cool band, quote unquote, and I'd see an LAPD car roll code down Sunset Boulevard. And I'd have to, and I would think, man, what kind of person can do that? You know, what, what does it take to be that guy uh, or, or that girl that can get in a car and go 100 miles an hour towards whatever crazy dangerous thing they're about to go encounter, right? And 
um, that kept happening. And I, and I was just curious about what kind of person that was. And I started doing ride-alongs because I wanted to find out who that person was and how far away from that person I was. And through the course of a bunch of ride-alongs, I uh, got interested in the reserve program and thought, well, I don't want to leave my really cool, awesome music industry job. I want to, so maybe I'll just be a reserve and I'll donate a couple hours a week. But the more ride-alongs I did, the more cops I talked to, I realized that that's the person I wanted to be. And I wasn't being true to my own values and my own beliefs where I was at the time and watching these uh, officers conduct themselves. I identified that that's what I wanted to be. That's who I was supposed to be um, and that I think I was the kind of person that could you know, roll code towards that danger. But, but I wasn't sure, <laughs> but I thought I might. But I knew that by uh, become, by trying, at least by trying, that I was going to become closer to being uh, a grown adult man. You know, I was. The music industry is very fun. It's a it's the greatest job to have in your early twenties, but it's also very fluffy and there's not a lot of substance to it. There's great people that work in it, but I was losing my passion for that because I realized that I wasn't doing anything to go out and make the world a better place. You know, I joke about it as being my my quarter life crisis. So. I slowly started doing these ride-alongs. I was going through the reserve program with LAPD and then decided I wanted to be full-time and made that, made, a, made a shocking announcement to my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, that she was not looking at marrying a cool, hip music industry exec, but she was probably going to end up marrying a cop if everything worked out, which actually it did. And she, uh, I was lucky that her dad is a retired highway patrol, so was an entire shock to her, but it was a bit of a shock. So that's what brought me into the academy and feeling like this was, this was, I mean, it's cheesy to call it a calling, but Joe, you understand, like, it's a calling, right? You may not know this at 14. You may not know it at 30. It might take you to 40, 40. We just hired a guy who's 42 and it's a third career for him after military and, and, and private sector work, but he eventually found his calling. And for those of us who are coming into this, that's what it is. It's a calling. And, and you find it, and your life will always be better for answering it. Can you explain what a, uh, a law enforcement reserve program is? Sure. So uh, out here in California and a lot of places around the country, uh, reserves function in different ways. Some states, reserves are only allowed to do office work or administrative work, that sort of thing. But in California, you can go, there's three levels of reserve and essentially, if you go the, the top-level reserve, which is what I wanted to do, the top-level reserve, you go through the entire police academy just like uh, a regular officer does. You just uh, break it up over time. So rather than it being six months every day, it might take you 18 months twice a week. But anyway, those top-level, they call them level one reserves, they can actually go out on patrol. They have law enforcement powers. They can affect arrest. They just have to be partnered with a full-time officer. So agencies like LAPD and LA sheriffs, who are obviously strapped for people and strapped for resources, and they run two-man cars, will use reserves quite frequently. And you go out, and it was this like Batman idea to me, right? I I was Bruce Wayne, cool industry guy during on a Friday day, and then I would go and suit up and go out and fight crime at night uh, in a in a blue suit or tan and green uh, in a regular patrol car and have complete arrest uh, arrest powers, ability to drive the car, carry your own weapons, everything. So somebody who's considering a law enforcement career, who do you think would be really attracted to getting into a reserve program? You know, if, if someone's considering the full career, the, the, the caveat to all that is that reserves typically don't get paid. I think in California, they have to get paid like $1 a year. 
So if you're really considering that this is what you want to do, I would just encourage people to go full time because uh, I think across the country we're having a hard time finding quality people. And the background in, in the background is the exact same. You have to have the same qualifications. So reserve is a good thing for people who might be well set in their careers but want to contribute, or people who are have used to be full time law enforcement who are now transitioned out of it, but they still like to contribute. Uh, for younger guys who want to do this full time, I'd or, or who are interested in this, I'd say give it a full shot. Get get the full experience of it because it is different. When you do it 24-7 versus, you know, nights and weekends when you can, I'd say go full time. Can you talk about uh, one case or event that you work that really kind of highlights your role in law enforcement? You know, there's there's so many. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a sergeant now. I got promoted about four years ago. So I always tend to think of cases and how it's affected uh, my officers or my de- in my case, my deputies. And, you know, I. I figured you'd ask me some sort of question like that because I listened to your show and I, and I know that you asked that. The thing that, and, and, and I had a hard time coming up with just one, you know, because I, you know, I'm, I've done most of my time in patrol. I was in community services for some time, which is kind of like our community oriented policing beat coordinators or neighborhood watch coordinator positions. I've done gang enforcement. Uh, I've been a bailiff, other things. But the, the one thing that I keep coming to, back to is regardless of the call, um, and, and, or the nature of the call, that the power of the officer or the deputy who's on scene, the power they have over someone's life and then the way they affect someone's life. And I don't mean that in a maniacal way of, at all in terms of what their ability is to affect someone's life. But that's, that's where our real opportunity is, is when we serve our fellow citizens as those peace officers. I, I can think of good calls, horrible calls, scary calls, bad calls. But how we interact with the public and how we interact with our our our, um, our coworkers, that's where we have that's where the juice of the job is, and that's where we have the biggest opportunity to affect the change we want to see. So it's hard for me to say, well, this one time I was in a pursuit, or this you know this one time I heard I, I got an officer down or a shots fired call, because to any cop those are I mean, <laughs> I tell these stories sometimes to friends offhandedly, and they will they will you know as you know. Their mouths will be on the floor, jaws open, eyes wide open. Can't believe the story I'm telling. And to me, it's Tuesday, right? Uh, it's it's funny, and I get reminded of that by my friends who aren't cops, who who I think, oh, this is no big deal. But um, good example is this last week. So, so uh, Easter Sunday was this weekend, right? And before I even woke up, I got a text message from we we call them senior deputies. They're called corporals at other departments. But I got a text message from the night shift senior deputy saying, hey. You better get in here. All the supervisors are gone because Deputy X got ambushed and is pinned down uh, outside a uh, house at a neighboring station, one of our other stations. So I go into work. I get in dressed out a little early, and I'm in there. And over the course of just Easter Sunday, right, a nice quiet Easter Sunday, we end up having a homicide a couple hours later and then a call for another probable homicide of a, of a body on fire in a parking lot. And then later in that day, my deputies go to a guy who who beat up his girlfriend, punched her in the face because he was upset over something stupid. Turns out the guy's a parolee. Beat her up, stole her keys, stole her car, ended up in a mini pursuit with us, and then defi- decided to fight the deputies that ended up stopping the car, and he gets tased and everything and off to the hospital for him. 
right? And that's my Easter Sunday. So my wife is, is at home having Easter egg hunts and the family's over having a good time and they come home and they go, how was your day? It's kind of hard to explain that to people, right? Just to, to your, your, normal, your normal citizen of like, well, that was my Sunday. That was just that. How was yours? You, you had an Easter egg hunt? Oh, okay. that sounds fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? And when did you start the, uh, the Squad Room podcast? About two years ago now. In fact, it'll be two years ago uh, almost exactly to the day as, as, we, as I look at the uh, time and date. So we've been doing about two years. We've got 60-plus episodes at this point, um, and it's been a lot of fun getting to talk to a lot of great people. In listening to the podcast, it seems like you focus on people in law enforcement being not only physically prepared but also mentally prepared uh, and yes. excelling at that job. Yes. Yeah, it, to me, um, the mental preparedness thing gets missed a lot. You know, the, the academy spends a lot of time getting you trained physically, uh, and they spend some time about the mental aspects of it. But what I found after all over a decade now of being in law enforcement is that there is wear and tear both on your body and on your mind. And if you're not prepared for it, if you're not aware of it, it's going to have real detrimental effects. But if you're prepared for it and you're healthy about it, you can manage these things and have a very successful career. Somebody who's considering or at least planning on going into law enforcement, what would you recommend that they do as far as how to mentally prepare themselves for the career ahead of them? You know, the first thing I would say is, is after they're done with this episode, if this is really something they think they want to do is go pull out a piece of paper. And at the top of the piece of paper, I'd write why. And then I would spend some real time with yourself thinking about why you want to do this job uh, and what your reasons are. Because if your reasons are you want to drive cars fast, you want to shoot guns, uh, and you want you uh, want to hunt the evil, and you know, you're know you a warrior, and you're a sheepdog, and you want to do all those things, I'd say go join the military. Uh, that's where you can really succeed with that mindset. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that mindset. I love the military. They need that. But that's not going to get you very far when you become a cop. Because when you become a cop, you realize real quickly that though that stuff is an aspect of the job, so is customer service, community caretaking, helping people who probably don't deserve to be helped. You know, you, you, you will have to put aside your own personal beliefs, your own personal political beliefs, and you'll have to go out and help everybody. And I was having this conversation with the deputy the other day. It's like, we don't get to pick and choose who we help, right? And it's not our job to be the purveyor or the uh, moral arbitrator of their behavior. We have to help them. And you have to be okay with that. So if you're in this job to protect and defend the laws and the Constitution, then that's probably a good sign that you're ready. People miss our oath is to protect and defend the Constitution and uphold the law. Well, those two things are diametrically opposed at times. And it's that balance, especially in the, you know, as you know, first, fourth, and fifth uh, amendments that really are where we live. And it's a gray area. And you have to take pride in the fact that you defend the Constitution and that you uphold the law. So figure out your why is the biggest thing um, because you're going to be leaving your friends and family uh, on holidays and weekends, and you've got to be willing to hold yourself to a much higher standard than everybody else. You've got, you know, the, this is someone who, if someone's looking at becoming a cop, they have to understand the job they're walking into, the, the violence and the death and the destruction that they're going to see either in the general public that they deal with in their partners or even in themselves. And they have to be okay with that. So that's the first thing is, is, is why I do. I'm kind of a, 
I'm one of those guys who reads up and studies and does everything before he tries to make a decision. Kind of, I, I end up in paralysis by analysis quite a bit. So I'm someone who would also recommend um, reading. There's a couple books I think that are really important to read just to understand what you're getting into. Several have been guests on my show, but uh, Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement by Kevin Gilmartin. That's a really important book. He's a fantastic speaker if anyone ever gets a chance to see him speak. That walks you through some of the emotional and mental challenges of the work. And not just from like the, the seeing dead bodies and stuff like that, but just the mental exhaustion, which gets messed a lot. You know, the cognitive fatigue. Another book I read before I became a cop was I Love a Cop. I read that from the perspective of a family member to try and understand some uh, issues there. And I think that's a good book for people to read. So especially if you don't have family law enforcement, to understand what might your mom and dad might be going through, your, your significant other. Uh, and then Into the Kill Zone, which is another fantastic book, a guest of the show, Dr. David Klinger. David was a former LAPD officer. He was involved in two shootings himself early in his career, eventually became a sociology professor. And he wrote a book called Into the Kill Zone that I think is, should be required reading in the academy. And then, you know, also ride-alongs. It's important, I think, to do ride-alongs with your agency, with agencies you never even considered looking at, um, ask a ton of questions, be obnoxious with the questions, just ask questions, understand the differences in each of your each of the departments that you're you're looking at. The physical agility is obviously an important part of the testing process in the academy. There's a heavy focus on physical conditioning. With the podcast episodes that you have, what advice would you give to somebody as far as how to physically prepare for both of those things? You know, the the physical aspect of, of the academy is like it's the easiest thing to prepare for. Uh, it's also the easiest thing to blow off in anticipation of the academy. But if you're physically fit going into the academy, it makes the academy so much easier, right? I mean, if you if you don't have to worry about your push-ups, your sit-ups, your pull-ups, and your run, you have so much less stress in your life. And I'll be the first to tell you that I was not that guy, right? I, I went into the academy. I thought I was in okay shape. I'd been running for a long time. I could run up to about three miles a couple times a week. Well, my academy was three miles every day. So I was I was out of my league quick, and I suffered as a result. I had shin splints throughout the academy. I had injuries, and the amount of stress that added to, that that added to my academy experience was almost insurmountable. So being prepared before you hit the academy doors is the physically prepared is the best thing you can do to make sure you have a successful uh, academy. You're going to be less stressed because you're in better shape. You're not going to have to worry about the physical ability tests because you're in good shape. You're going to recover faster. All, there's a, a million reasons to be physically fit. And the things that I've learned from the guests and from my own experience is, you know, most academies still function on a body weight movement, calisthenics uh, m- mode. More and more, there are academies that are moving towards a CrossFit mode. So I think knowing what your academy expects is, a, is important. Asking your background investigator, you know, I was afraid to ask questions because I felt like, I was coming out of a hiring process with a couple of larger agencies where you were lucky if you got someone on the phone to answer a question. And then I ended up getting hired by an agency where they would sit and talk to you on the phone for, you know, half an hour because they're recruiting you, right? And versus kind of this cattle call hiring process. So ask questions on that ride along. Ask the officers what the academy is like if they are doing a CrossFit program or if they're doing a body weight calisthenics program and basically just mimic that. You know, it doesn't have to be that complicated. If you're going into an academy that does high-intensity interval training, do high-intensity interval training. Uh, if you're doing a, an academy that is strictly running, some of them are running with some push-ups and all that, just do push-ups. Knock out 
10 push-ups on the hour, every hour, every day in the lead up to the academy and you'll be ready to go. Now you add, need to add sit-ups and of course the cardiovascular running to that. But my personal preference for being all around generally prepared is CrossFit. That works for me. And, uh, the challenge for CrossFit was with especially younger guys is don't let your ego get in the way and start throwing up weight that you shouldn't be putting up. But focus on that, um, well, they call it metabolic conditioning aspect of, of, of CrossFit, which is being able to move load, i.e. weight, under cardiac stress. You know, And I think if you can do that and you can be successful with that, you're probably going to be pretty good in the academy. One thing I still don't have, <laughs> it kills me, I still don't have them is pull-ups. You know, but I'm a big guy. I'm 6'2", over 250, and I've just always been uh, on a, uh, I'm a, I'm a broad-shouldered dude. So pull-ups have never been a strength for me. That sounds like I'm giving an excuse, but no, it's because I don't work on them hard enough. So work on your weaknesses, capitalize on your strengths, but devote time every day to doing something to get yourself physically prepared for the academy, and you'll be good to go. In your podcast, The Squad Room, you've obviously interviewed a, a wide variety of guests. Are there certain guests, episodes that you would recommend to people considering getting into law enforcement that would be more applicable to them? Yeah, there's certainly some that, that give, I think, the right mindset for someone who's looking at entering the academy. Um, you know, start with episode three, uh, which is, my guest is Greg Amundsen on that episode. Greg is a former DEA agent, former uh, Santa Cruz County SWAT operator, awesome dude. And um, he talks about the importance of considering ourselves as athletes. You know, he calls us tactical athletes or he, uh, professional warrior athletes, actually, is how he phrases it. But this idea of a tactical athlete comes up a lot on. Um, all of my episodes where he's right. We need to consider ourselves athletes. You know, we, we don't have a game on Sunday. We don't know. And, and we, he compares us to a, a fighter, an MMA fighter, a boxer, right? But either of those two, they know where the fight is. They know when it's going to be. They know who their opponent is. They know their opponent's strengths and weaknesses. And they have X amount of time to prepare for that fight. But we have to be ready in an environment where we don't know who our uh, nemesis is. We don't know their strengths and weaknesses. We don't know uh, – we, we have to follow rules that they don't have to, right? Uh, in a boxing match, everyone's agreed to the rules. Well, on a street fight, there's no rules, and they get to cheat, right? So he talks in episode three about being a tactical athlete. To close things out, what's one thing you wish you knew prior to getting into law enforcement? There's so many things I've learned since, be, since coming into law enforcement that it's hard it's hard to say you know it's what's the 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 movie the matrix right like when you become a a law enforcement officer you take the blue pill or whatever whatever the one it is right where everyone else takes the pill where they they get to go about their lives and uh as as if none of this stuff exists and when you become a cop it's the opposite you know you can't go back and you see things you see the world differently your your life will change and if you are careful and you are um, and you are mindful. I wouldn't say careful, but mindful. All of those changes are going to be good. Uh, my experience uh, is that it made me a much better person because it forced me to. You know, I had to uphold that badge and that honor and that oath, and that made me into a much better human. So, you know, in that sense, maybe that's what I wish I had known because I probably would have done it sooner. I wish I knew the variety of the work that we do. You know, we are a marriage counselor. We are a, a suicide counselor. We are a counselor of a ton of different issues. And it's a huge challenge, but there is grace in that challenge that I think is just 
inspiring. And it's inspiring to see other officers come into the job and then fulfill that, fulfill that role because we're needed. Those are the things that I know now. And I think had I known what this would do for me as a person, that's probably what I would have known, would have liked to have known before and I would have done it sooner. Well, Garrett, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's an honor. Appreciate your time. If you're looking for a job in law enforcement, check out the largest listing of law enforcement jobs on golawenforcement.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening.